welcome to the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 17th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of September 27th, 2020, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we are in the end of September. What a crazy time to be in. Typically up here, it's getting colder, and as you know, as I've talked about the last few weeks, I'm recording these ahead of time, so I have no idea what the weather is like. I have no idea what's going on in the world. Hopefully, things are going well. I know at this point, I would be kind of wrapping up toward the end of kind of my wedding festivities and everything that's been going on with that. So I'm really excited because it is the end of the year. We're moving into the season of fall, and that's such a wonderful, glorious time of the year, especially here in North America, especially in the northeastern part, really, of the U.S. If you take about the Mississippi River over, we'll even count Minnesota in there where we don't just get golden yellows. We get also a little bit of oranges and reds, which is not something that is known all over the world. A lot of other places get golden colors, and I'll attach a link down below to Talking about that. I learned that this last week. And I thought that was just really fascinating. And fall to me is such an amazing time of year. It's so colorful. It's so beautiful. There's so many different things where we can talk about the true colors of the trees that were have the camouflage of chlorophyll blocking what the leaf color is and the different elements that make these different colors within the leaves. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And if you haven't spent time in that section of the world here in North America, I'd highly recommend it, especially in the fall. It's just so beautiful and there's just something about it. And it really helps move us into the colder seasons. But let's jump into last week's Twitter question. And when I was looking back at what I said last week and then looking at what I was going to say this week, I couldn't have known better. We're going to kind of get a continuation on the discussion that we had last week. But the Twitter question was, how can you be more generous? It's a hard question. And especially when we looked at last week, how science is constantly on this progression of trying to keep funding itself. And how do you keep finding the funding? And a lot of times that there's a lot of difficulties in being able to make sure that you're supporting everybody and getting through all these loopholes to be able to do the science. And then you have criticisms on where you're getting your scientific discoveries from. It means in a lot of ways of Can we make sure that we are supporting science and different ways in which we can do that and be appreciative of the people who are and trying to be a supporting force to them? But even in our general lives, we just have to continue to try to bring that spirit not only to the scientific community, but to the world community. How often, especially before this pandemic, so many people were in a rush all the time. And we liked, especially here in the United States, almost bragging about it. Like this was something of a badge of honor of how busy I am. And the problem with being so busy is it makes it really hard at times to be generous. And especially within our own faith, that's something that we do talk about is being generous and making sure we're giving our time and work and effort to other people and how often we can cut ourselves short. And as we are coming eventually out of this pandemic, I don't know when, it's one of the things that I really hope that is part of the culture change, at least here in the States and hopefully even worldwide, of being more generous with our time, 
being less worried about how busy we are and more worried about other people. And I really hope that that's something that we kind of take on and embody as we move forward. And to me, when I'm thinking about being generous, that's one of the ways that I think about it. So like I hinted at, we'll be kind of tying a little bit of last week's text into this week's text. There's kind of some fun tie-ins and based off of how I approached it last week. So let's jump right into it. The first reading is from Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 1 to 4 and 25 to 32. We get this, the Lord using the prophet Ezekiel and trying to warn the people of Israel. And how at this point they're saying that God is being unfair. And they're looking at all these different things on how when you take a step back and how God is showing that when the righteous turn away from him, there is a death in that. And then the wicked turn to him, they are given life. And that's where when the people of Israel are questioning and doubting, then why are they saying that God is unfair? And that we have to continue to turn our lives to God in order so that we might live. And again, it's one of these things that I really enjoy about the Old Testament is it is so humanistic. We can see ourselves in it and just how we continue to doubt at different times. And I love how that's so much there in the text and it really makes it more human. And we get that especially also in the alternative first reading, which is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. So we're continuing on the story. Last week, the alternative first reading is that we were given the manna and quail from heaven. This week, we now have the people are complaining again and saying, why did you take us out of Egypt where we've been wandering around? We're thirsty. So the Lord talks to Moses, says, take a couple of the elders with you, go to this rock with your staff, strike it, have them seat it, and look, there will be water. And so they get this place where they name it Masa or Meribah, which roughly translates to, is the Lord among us or not? So this idea of showing how, yes, God even has a little bit of a sense of humor and how they were able to name the place and helping give insight into that, but how we at times so much doubt, but then God still continues to show up and like, yes, I'm here, just continue to trust. And that ties in beautifully to the psalm this week, which is Psalm 25 verses 1 to 9. We get this song of David and again talking about relying on God and being able to give praise to him but continue to trust and lay more and more of ourselves out to God. Opening up the different parts of ourselves so that we can be forgiven and helping us to become more and more open with God so that he can more and more use us. and help us be humble in the way that we're doing this. The second reading is from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. And so we continue in this wonderful letter of Paul to the Philippians, another Roman controlled area. And here we are getting this text of encouragement and continuing on how 
remember what Christ has done for you and that as you continue to walk in trying to be like Christ, that the spirit of that will continue to help you embody that and continue to become part of who you are so that you can have the presence of God with you and that you can share that with others. And that in that, remember that it's a humble spirit that is helping you in that. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. Jesus is getting questioned from the people, the temple, the chief priests, and the elders. And from what I was picking up from older Working Preacher podcasts, the chief priests and elders at this point are probably a small subsect of the Jewish people at this point. So this is not the majority thought. This is probably just kind of a small, more, I don't like saying extremist, but more radical maybe Jewish faith at this moment. And they said, to Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So Jesus spins it around on them and he asks them a question. And if they are able to give the correct answer, he'll tell them. And so the question that he asks is, did the baptism of John, John the Baptist, come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they kind of get into this dilemma. If they say it's from heaven, then they will get questions on why did you not believe him? If they say of human origin, they're afraid that the crowd looks at John as a prophet. And so they say they don't know. Jesus then says, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And then he gives this quick parable of two sons in a vineyard. And he says to the one son, Can you go out to the vineyard today? The son says, I will not. But he changes his mind and goes. The father then goes to the second son and asks the same questions. And the son says, I will go, sir, and does not. And so then Jesus asks, which of the two did the will of the father? They said the first. And Jesus then comes from verse 32. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. So this idea of how sometimes we put qualifications on people, and because they don't meet all these qualifications, we don't want to believe them. So before we jump into how faith and science come together in this text, we have to do our shameless plug for Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcasts, their commentaries, discussions, since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis. Being able to listen to multiple seminary professors along with having commentaries from even more different seminary professors. And as I've already mentioned, because I'm not ordained, I love using this as a resource to be able to help me give some guidance for this podcast. If you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. Authority. That's a loaded word. In a lot of ways in our world, we have given this word a lot of power. The authority to do this, the authority to do that. We can trust this because it's coming from a trusted source, essentially giving it authority over other sources. And we see this in our lives all over the place. Even within the church, he's a pastor or she's a pastor, 
So obviously they must know more than I do, which is probably true in some ways. And they must be closer to God. That can be stretched. Because again, we're all humans. We're all trying to figure out, we all have our human struggles. Do pastors like praying with people? Yes. But again, remember, we're just people too. But when we give authority to people, we try doing it out of respect. But sometimes it's also because we don't understand. And when I was thinking about this and thinking about the word of authority, and as I talked about, we were going to talk a little bit about what we talked about last week. We were talking about the funding of science and when you start breaking it down, how expensive science is and how crazy in a lot of ways it is. It's hard to pay everybody. It's hard to make things work. It's hard to make ends meet. One of the best blessings that the scientific community has ever run into is citizen science. Citizen science is where typical people who don't have any necessarily scientific background or that maybe their professional field is something else, but still have an interest in science, say that they're going to volunteer some of their time to help with science. There's many different forms of this, and there's all over the place of different types, and you can look stuff up on the internet and on Google, and I can attach a little bit down below to help with some of that also. But one that I think of when I think of citizen science, because I've done it, is the Audubon Christmas Bird Count. Every year for over 120 years now, it was initially done as a protest against the... Christmas bird hunt that many people used to do that people go out and count birds and it's become this great resource to be able to track population trends and be able to kind of see how different even weather effects and climate effects there's having on birds and it's become this great data resource and it's all by volunteers whether you are a professional birder in your day-to-day job but a lot of it is just regular people who have an interest in birds. NASA is another big one because there are so many different things where they're gathering so much data and they have multiple different news stories all attached down below of people finding and discovering new things that the scientists, in quotes, weren't able to find. Either that they didn't have the time to look at that data maybe, but I would argue probably more likely is they didn't come with a fresh perspective. You see, just like anything, there's a lot of times where people coming in with a fresh perspective can help see things that maybe people who are dealing with it day to day just don't see. And I even will attach a couple TED Talks on below, but one of those was even talking about how there's different scientific research showing how citizen scientists, typical people who get trained in on stuff, often do as good, if not a better job, than the trained scientists in gathering data. Why do you think this is? It gets back to the basics of what is science. Science can be broken down into to know. Science is just having this thirst, this understanding to understand, to learn, to know what is going on in some specific field. And especially with nature, especially with mammals and plants and things that we can easily see, people have a desire to know. And people have, especially now with having a supercomputer in your pocket, aka a smartphone, you can take pictures that have exact time and 
geolocation on when that was taken, where it was taken, and especially for different animals and stuff, that can be very valuable information. Valuable information that you essentially have potentially unlimited amount of scientists out in the field collecting data for you at all times. And if put in the right databases, this is monumental data, huge data, making life-changing type of movement in what is going on in the world around us, being able to help in a butterfly study, to understanding pronghorn migration movement, to being able to look at something like eBird, which is a website to help document birds that we can literally track migration of different species across the United States from mostly citizen scientists. Why? It's the beauty of almost all of us can observe the world around us and take notes and be observant and write things down or take pictures and send it into different places to help further science. Why I was so excited about this when I looked at my Twitter question that I had made was this is a way to be generous because it's being generous with your time. But the cool thing about it also is that you're genuinely excited about it. You want to know something. You want to learn something. Here you go. Do this. If you see this, do this. It's amazing. And a lot of times, a lot of experiments are very complicated experiments, but get broken down into simple parts because we're people. And there's, yes, there's certain things at times that you need trained professionals for, but there's other things that honestly, having so many just citizens helping is helpful. When Jesus is talking and they are having this discussion with the chief priests about authority, so many times we think the authority in science can't come from a regular person. I heard another analogy this week, and again, it was one of those TED Talks, and I'll attach it down below, that I thought was really interesting. Most of us, when we're especially younger, play sports. Most of us know that at some point, we're going to find out we're not a professional athlete, but we play it because we like it and because it's fun. And even if we get to the point where we're maybe a little older, we're never going to be a professional athlete, but we keep playing because it's fun. We do that with the arts. We play music and draw beautiful pictures or do photography or all these different dance, all these different types of art forms, and 95% of us aren't going to be professionals in it. And we accept that. But for whatever reason, when we decide that we have a thirst for understanding the world or understanding a specific topic, knowledge, we suddenly then say, well, then they should be a professional in that. What about if that's a hobby? What if that's something that you just have an itch to understand? Why are we putting that authority there? When we look at this gospel text, the chief priests with the elders in the temple are trying to corner Jesus into what is giving him this authority. And I think in a lot of ways, Jesus is trying to open up the door for us. Because at this point, the Holy Spirit is in him, but we haven't received it yet. But he wants to keep that door open for us, knowing that if we believe that that's where our faith is going to be drawn from, you can do great things. You can do amazing things. Because with believing in me, we give you that authority. You look at the Old Testament texts, either the Ezekiel or Exodus text, how God will provide. God is being there and is trying to give you this new spirit, this new heart, this new compassion 
to be able to share himself with the world and do great things. We have a prophet here in Ezekiel. We have a prophet in Moses. They're normal people who decided they were going to listen to what God is trying to tell them. And they did great things. David, who of the kings of Israel shows the most humanistic side that he has this heart for God, but continues to fall. He, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, is like the Peter of the Old Testament, has this desire to chase after God, but falls flat. And here we get this beautiful psalm from David talking about trying to transform me into the person that you are wanting me to be. I need to be humble, to be able to listen to, to be able to hear the calling and where you're pulling me. And Paul taps into that in the Philippians reading. It's one of the beautiful things about science. Anybody can do science. Anybody can do experiments. Anybody can observe. It's the question of, are you willing to do it? And if you're willing to do it, are you willing to share it? To help all of us understand and to know. How different is that than faith? I see this text as a very optimistic text for us on this side of the cross, brothers and sisters. This is a text of Jesus opening the door, showing that we have authority through him. We have authority to be able to share the gospel. We have the authority to be able to share Christ's love. We have the authority to pray and to communicate directly with God. We have the authority to listen to what God is calling us to do. And that can be into citizen science and to understand God's creation around you or God's universe if you're maybe helping out with NASA. Or maybe it's that you're called into helping other people in some other form or other way, but in giving authority to God, which we can know that that's the authority that he's talking about. We have to be open to listen. Science is a lot of hurry up and wait a lot of times. It's sitting there and observing or waiting for something to happen so you can make note of it. And that's why, again, citizen science is so helpful because it puts people all over the place and maybe they're seeing what you're looking for by chance. It's the beauty of it. And it's the beauty of just like the church coming together to work together on something, the beauty of people coming together to help others understand things. It's the wonderful beauty of citizen science. It's the wonderful beauty of when we trust God and we listen. Don't doubt yourself. I'm telling you this week, you can be a scientist if you want to be. You can be a citizen scientist. And look it up. There's so many different places and different projects you could jump into and to help with. You could be one of the people that helps make a huge difference. And trust me, I remember one time doing an Audubon Christmas bird count and there was a huge bohemian waxwing upsurgence and I happened to be part of the group that saw the most bohemian waxwings on a count and so when I got my big report which goes through the whole United States and goes through the whole North America and I flip to Wisconsin I'm glancing through the report and there it is talking about the count that I was in, that many people saw bohemian waxwings over the count with the most being at this count of a high of this. And I knew that I was part of that. I was a major part of that. And I had made the state report. It was such a cool feeling. 
I, at that point, wasn't a professional scientist. I was in school to be, but I wasn't anything really that special. And I've never, for a day in my life, been paid to be a professional ornithologist. I just got to be a citizen scientist for a little bit. The feeling was awesome. And the beautiful thing about citizen science is that you can do it at any age. You can be young, you can be old, you can be middle-aged, you can be retired, you can be just needing something to do, a hobby, and all you're needing is just some free time. And hopefully it's something then that you enjoy. It's allowing you to be able to express something and learn more about something and just have something to be fun. So often in a world today where we forget about that, we forget that it's okay as an adult to find something as a hobby that's fun to do. And it's amazing when we do something like that and are able to come together as a community to help each other in some form and some fashion. So the Twitter question this week is, have you ever thought about doing citizen science? And if you were to do citizen science, what would you do? There's so many opportunities and it's really allows for science to happen. Like we talked about last week, like I said, it's so expensive, but citizen science helps big time. And when we think about it's this unique place that at any age, any skill level, maybe you find something that no one has found before and that you are helping the authority discover something. And it allows for this beautiful relationship where people can actually be co-authorities together. The citizen scientist just with their passion and being able to possibly see something and the expert being able to confirm and maybe inform and teach us more. That's what faith is all about, isn't it? And that's part of the beauty of science is sharing it and having that willingness to share and learn together. Jesus looked at these texts as a time and as a place so that we could understand that as long as we are trying to follow, we are looked at as family, as ones with authority, ones with the true last name of son and daughter of Christ. And to me, what authority that really is. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.